then I knew exactly what to do, but in a much more real sense, I had no idea what to do. What would it look like if we made that into a Venn diagram? No, we need an acronym for that. I don't need an inspirational quote. I need my coffee. You don't have to be crazy to work here. We'll train you. staff, this is Peggy Enderley, and you're listening to The Art of Venn, the learning and talent podcast where we talk about your growth and development. What is staff work, and what am I doing? In The Art of Venn, we'll explore how two disparate ideas can overlap and contribute to staff thriving, like a Venn diagram. Today, my guest is Bruce Hansen, Area Ministry Director in Pacific Region. Hey, Bruce. Hey, Peggy. Good to see you. You're the Area Ministry Director, but not your typical one. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, we call it the resource area, maybe not the most sexy branding, but it's a bunch of staff who have a lot of experience on campus, but are no longer in direct line campus ministry. And we've pulled them together to be a resource area where we add value to and serve staff and campus work across the region, but we're not a geographic area like most university areas. So I know you've done a lot with university and you were also with IFES as one of our link staff. What were you doing there? Yeah, I've, I've worn a lot of hats and I commend staying with university long term because they, they let you reinvent yourself a lot, <laughs> which is kind of fun if you're into that. Um, but one of the things we did is uh, with my family, we went and served on link staff in Belgium for three years. And even that was kind of a unique reinvention in that IFES let me be fairly creative. I was assigned to the Flemish IFES movement, uh, whom I love and really have deep partnership with the staff there and came to learn how they do ministry, which is, has its own challenges and, and unique ways they do things. But they also in turn released me to serve at a uh, theological seminary uh, in Flanders, the, that area of Belgium. Um, it serves a lot of IFES folks across Europe. And so I got to... Um, teach some biblical studies there as well, which is wonderful. Well, today, one thing we're going to talk about is the Trinity. You are a theologian, one of my favorites. Uh, we're going to talk about Trinity, but how it relates to campus staff. And I think so many times we think about the Trinity, and it's, it's a concept, it's an idea, it's in our doctrinal statement. But in terms of its relevance and how it applies to our day-to-day -day lives, how it impacts ministry, we don't really make the connection there. For you, how do you make that connection? Because ministry is triune, that God has sent His Son and His Spirit to recapture and renew His creation. And it's only in His work in Christ by the Spirit that all of creation is reunited to God, reconciled to God. So in as much as we are doing any ministry, it's within the Trinity. It's the Father sending the Son and sending His Spirit. The uh, missionary heart of God predates creation, predates humanity, predates the fall. The missionary heart of God is inherent in who God is. God is a sending God. God is a saving God. God is a loving God in all eternity. That's the doctrine of the Trinity. So all of our ministry 
is joining the sending of the Son and the sending of the Spirit. In him, our ministry is capable of receiving God. We're not capable of bringing God to campus. Jesus is. So in him, our ministry is capable of the presence of God, not by virtue of me, by virtue of being in Christ. So what does that mean? Like when a staff steps onto campus to be thinking about the mission of God within the Trinity? Great question. It means the first question we ask everywhere we go on campus is where is Jesus and what is he doing? Not what is my plan or what is my strategy? I I learned that even before I realized how Trinitarian it was. Uh, In my young staff days, God sent me two angels. Um, One was the General Secretary of IFES India. He was traveling around the U.S., but he was coming through the San Francisco Bay Area, and someone called me, this staff worker at Berkeley, and said, this honored guest is passing through and needs housing. Uh, And I put him up. I I had room in my house and and put him up and and barely got to know him. He was out doing other stuff. I was thinking a lot about leadership and wanting to be a dynamic leader and all that. And I I asked him, I said, "Um, what's your understanding of Christian leadership? And he very simply and humbly said, seeing what God is already doing and joining it. And I remember thinking, oh, that's disappointingly passive. I want to be a Marine for Jesus, you know, I want to be a maverick. And then it just so happens within a couple of weeks of that, the famous pioneer of manuscript study, Paul Beyer, was doing manuscript study for our region. And I got to put him up in my house. And so I asked him the same question. And with, with no prompting of what I'd heard before, he answered the exact same thing. He said, oh, Christian leadership is showing up and seeing what God is doing already and joining it. Once we understand that that's what the Trinity means, that God has already become incarnate, that Jesus still is human, that Jesus still is ministering his ministry of reconciliation, that it is only in Jesus that all of creation is brought to wholeness in God, that we have to ask, okay, what is Jesus doing? And that's a matter of discernment, and discernment isn't easy. Uh, discernment takes Christian formation. I think for pre-Christians and new Christians, we get dramatic revelations and, and sudden breakthroughs, and we think hearing God's Spirit is easy. I think that's kind of how God spoils babies. But as we mature, we have to learn to discern more and more. And, and discerning what God is up to comes from knowing God. So we have to devote ourselves to knowing God well to knowing Jesus as he's attested in Scripture, to knowing things like the doctrine of the Trinity so it informs how we perceive the world, that we begin to have a biblical and theological acuity that enables us then to recognize the fingerprints of God and to join in. So there is a level of maturity that is required to discern that. It's as in Scripture, as we see repeatedly in the Old and New Testament, It is often not what we would choose or what we would expect. If ministry comes to be predictable, it's pretty certain we're not following Jesus. There's that freedom that staff have when they step onto campus to look for what God is doing. How does that make ministry sustainable, though? It's usually hard. I mean, first of all, 
if our ministry is joining in Jesus' ministry, uh, his example is pretty hard. I mean, homeless, uh, wandering around, depending on handouts, to being rejected and betrayed and crucified. It's not a pretty pattern. So it doesn't mean that it's easy. But the difference is knowing that it's his ministry. He's doing it, and he's the reason we hope for fruit. Not because I'm so gifted. I don't find that burnout is related to the workload. Of course, there's life management and, you know, getting enough rest and work-life balance issues. But that's not the heart of burnout. The heart of burnout is, is hope and, and motivation. And if I know that Jesus is doing this and I'm in partnership with him and I have authentic hope because I know he's at work, there's a freedom and a life-giving power in that, even if things look like a failure. So, so sustainability uh, isn't a life management issue. It's a theological issue. How would you recommend staff meditate on the Trinity? The best way to meditate on the Trinity is just to read the scriptures. The doctrine of the Trinity is just the church's wise, multi-century distillation of what we have to confess about God on the basis of Scripture. So the, the real source is reading Scripture. So classic Trinitarian texts like John 15, where Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who abide in him and he and us bear much fruit. And this is apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, another favorite of mine is, is Colossians 1, 15 to 20, where it talks about you know, Jesus' role in creation and in redemption, and especially what I've been getting at here at the end of that hymn, that in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things in heaven and on earth. There's only one location where all things are being reconciled to God. And it's not my ministry, and it's not university. It's in Christ. So those are passages to, uh, to reflect on. There's more. We know that we do things in Jesus' name, and there's this idea that so much happens in Christ, and that phrase, in Christ, is repeated so frequently, especially in Paul's letters. And we use it casually, like we're brothers and sisters in Christ. But what are theological implications of that phrase, in Christ? That when Paul repeats over 160 times in Christ in his letters, it's not a throwaway phrase. It's not like us repeating, dear father, dear father, in our prayers, just as a filler. It's not a theological, uh, you know, he means it. He makes all that we are capable of and worthy of divine presence, God. So in Christ is literally the location where ministry actually happens. So when I go on campus in Jesus' name, that's not just some invocation or, or some incantation. It really means I am in Christ who's already here. I'm not bringing Jesus. Jesus is here, and I'm coming to find him and be in him. If we're all in Christ, that's pretty crowded <laughs> as we minister and partner together. It's why ministry is essentially communal. Right, just like the Trinity. Precisely. By being joined to Christ, the only true human, the only true disciple, the only true missionary in whom all our ministry becomes viable and alive, we're in there with a whole bunch of other people. So that's one of the questions we have to ask when you get on campus. Who are his other people who he also was sent here to, to join him? And the 
Funny thing is the the picture in terms of location that I've always been raised with as so many of us have been raised with and what we how we were first presented the gospel often as children is that Jesus comes into our hearts that we invite Jesus into our hearts but as we're looking at this topic it's really we're in Christ instead yeah well said yeah and that's the far more dominant New Testament emphasis right there's a few texts that do talk about you know in Colossians Paul says Christ in you the hope of glory or uh, in Galatians 2:20 another great Trinitarian ministry text. I've been crucified with Christ and I lo- no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So there's an in Christ in me. The dominant theme of the rest of Galatians is in Christ. So we have those examples of Christ in me, um, but the far more dominant emphasis is him being in me is what enables me to be in him. His gift of the spirit is what engrafts me into him. I mean, that's the, pri- I think the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit is to unite us in Christ. That's why all the Trinitarian prayers say either from the Father, through the Son, in the Spirit, or to the Father, through the Son, in the Spirit. It's So the Spirit unites us into Christ, and that's by far the dominant New, New Testament emphasis, that we join into what Christ is doing as the eternal Son, uh, as the eternal Word of God. There, there's something comforting about that, you know, in some of our liturgical prayers, we talk about Christ above me, below me, to my left and to my right. My job is to kind of figure that out. There's a, there's not only freedom, but there's a sense of comfort and protection as well. Right. And I would even say, imagine the campus in Christ. You know, Colossians 1.20 says that in him, God is reconciling all things in heaven and earth. So, if God is reconciling the campus to Christ in Christ, then we can imagine not just where is Jesus on campus, but where is this campus in Jesus? So he's got this place surrounded. And I could see how that that perspective becoming dominant in our minds is protection from burnout. Um, there's no reason to despair or lose hope, even if things are hard. If folks want to begin to think more about the Trinity, I highly recommend a paper written by one of our colleagues, John Ball, on staff in Southern California, about a year ago, wrote a wonderful paper aimed for staff and students to introduce them not only to the doctrine of the Trinity, but to the ministry of the Trinity. All right. We'll find that and make it available for the campus staff. Well, thanks, Bruce. Thanks so much for taking this very, you know, weighty and sometimes and often complicated theological idea and bring it down uh, to relevance for us. I, I hope it serves a lot of staff. Thanks, Bruce. Hey, Greg, how's it going? Great. How are you doing, Peggy? Good. I'm interested in your book plugs this week because I love Bruce. He's one of my resident theologians. So what do you have for us? As I was thinking about the Trinity, I realized it's a truth that we talk about, but most of us don't understand, which is fair. It's a mystery. But a great introduction to the Trinity is Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves, which is an IDP book. It's short. It's super accessible, occasionally humorous, which is very helpful when you're reading theology. 
And it's been adopted by a lot of people as the best introductory book to the Trinity that you can find. And so I highly recommend Delighting the Trinity by Michael Reeves. I know Bruce was talking not just about the Trinity abstractly, but how does it affect and shape how we do ministry? And so the book I would like to recommend for that is Ministry in the Image of God by Stephen Siemens. And what Stephen tries to do in this book is describe it. If the Trinity is true, which we believe it is, this is how it should shape the way that we do ministry together and that we do ministry on campus. And so it applies the reality of the Trinity to ministry settings. And I think for most of us, that's what we really need. It's not just the ability to articulate what the Trinity is, but to understand how it shapes who we are. And then the final thing I want to recommend is a series called The Bible Speaks Today, Bible Themes series. And in it, there's a book called The Message of the Trinity. And what I love about The Bible Speaks Today is it's a series of expositions of scripture. And so it's a way of approaching theology from scriptural passages at the beginning. And in this book, Brian talks about the Trinity of love, the Trinity in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, but also the Trinity in the experience of the early church. So he gets to how does the Trinity shape our life and mission together? And the Bible theme series is a fantastic way to explore systematic theology topics from the kind of an exposition of scripture as you go through. And so what I love about it particularly is if you use the Bible Speaks Today theme series, you have easy ways of organizing your talks in the future because you can just have an exposition on a particular subject. That's great, Greg. Thanks. Hey, staff. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Subscribe where you normally get your podcasts for all the episodes in this pilot season. And let's continue the conversation online. We are on Twitter and Instagram at The Art Event. Email questions, comments, and requests to artevent at university.org.